Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, and I'm sure you're aware it's the first Sunday of the new year. Amen? Whew. Last week we talked about preparations for the year 2013, and I was praying about how we could start off the new year. The Lord was showing me that we need to take the kingdom by force in 2013. Amen? And I say the word take for a reason, because... You know, they say in the world, nobody's going to give you anything. And it's a reality, amen, that you're not going to get the promises of God unless you choose to be diligent and aggressive and assertive to take your possession, amen? So that's what the Lord placed on my heart, and we're going to study that today. So once again, Matthew eleven twelve, And this is Jesus speaking, amen? It says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. I'm just going to read that again. Amen. Read it with me. And from the days of John the Baptist until when? Now. Once again. And from the days of John the Baptist until now. The kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force. So we see here until now. In other words, this thing is still presently happening. That the kingdom of heaven what? Suffer its violence. You're part of the kingdom of heaven, Correct. If that's the case, you are suffering violence. It doesn't mean that you're like, ouch, 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 you caught me in the back, you caught me in the gut, you know. But you are suffering violence on a daily basis up until now. And if we come back tomorrow, the word will still be now. We come back a month from now, it will still be now. We come back, you know, in November, it will still be now. You're continually suffering violence, amen. In other words, the enemy is trying to do stuff to thwart you in your relationship with God. But Jesus Christ tells us a remedy here. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. What does he say to do? Oh, just lay back in fetal position and let the devil and the world system beat up on you? No. He says the violent take it by force, amen. So that's the mindset God wants us to have for the year of 2013. Take it by force. Take your possession. Take your peace. Take your serenity. Take your healing. Whatever you need, take it by force. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for what you placed upon my heart. And, Father, as we're in the first Sunday of the new year, we thank and praise you, first of all, for getting us into the new year. We're alive, we're well, we're able to get up out of our beds and come to church, and we praise you, Father, that there's a bright future ahead for the entire year, and we're just looking unto you, Father, to give us great opportunities to show us, Father, the things that we're called to do. If there's areas in which we have not fulfilled our purpose, reveal it to us in this season. If there's been obstacles in our past. Show us, Father, how to get, a, to get around those obstacles. We just praise and thank you that we would not have a defeated mindset, that we would not be uh, uh, unenlightened, that we would not be inadequate, that we would not be insecure, that we would not be depressed or discouraged. But, Father, we would be looking with an open mindset and with a heart full of joy at the opportunities ahead of us this year. So we praise and thank you, Father, for this. And we ask you, Father, through your word to not only enlighten us, but also to empower us to go out and get the things that you've placed before us, Father. And we praise you, Father, for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. 2013. Hallelujah. All right. <laughs> All right. So as I said, it says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. That phrase, suffereth violence, means to be crowded into 
or against, to be seized, amen, to be crowded into or against. And what do we mean by being crowded into? If you're to be crowded into, you're just sitting there trying to mind your business and you're trying to be in your place and the enemy's like, uh-uh, I'm coming in, I'm taking your territory. And you're trying to say, get off me, enemy. And the enemy's like, uh-uh, I'm getting more and more. And, oh, uh, well, I'm bumping against Lisa, but I don't care if Lisa did because I'm going to get at her space too and I'm going to just get all over here and I'm going to just mess up all your stuff. Amen? <laughs> So we are being, we are suffering violence. So in other words, you have your place, your position, you have your role, you have your gifting, you have all the things before you, but the enemy is constantly bumping up against you, trying to take back not only the territory that you have, but the things that the Lord is trying to allow you to have. The enemy is saying, I'm trying to crowd into you. Matter of fact, I am crowding into you. And... In some cases, you might be sitting there, everything is peaceful, amen, everything's going well, all systems are go, and all of a sudden, you just feel this anxiety coming up on you because the enemy's trying to squeeze the life out of you, amen? You ever feel like life has you in a bear hug? I'm not going to hurt anybody anymore. <laughs> I'm going to leave you alone. You can come back. <laughs> Amen. So sometimes you just feel like you're sitting there at ease, and all of a sudden the enemy just puts you in this bear hug. He starts squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. You know those old aunts when you're a kid that they put their arms around you? He said, Grandma or Aunt, come on, let me go. You're squeezing the air out of me. But the only thing with this is that when the enemy puts you in that bear hug, he's trying to snuff the life out of you. Amen. He's not doing it out of fun. He's not doing it out of love. He's trying to take the little bit you have and squeeze you and squeeze you until it comes out of you or is snuffed out. The oxygen is taken away from it and it dies. Amen? You people are aware, it just came to my mind, you people are aware of the Heimlich maneuver, right? When it's time, you know what the Heimlich maneuver does? Somebody's got something lodged in their throat, they can't breathe. So what do you do? You squeeze them and squeeze them and squeeze them until what? Boom. They spit up whatever is blocking their ability to breathe. Amen? So if you squeeze something hard enough, you might cause something to eject out of that person. Now, in the case of the enemy, instead of him trying to squeeze you to get the thing that is snuffing out your life out of you, instead, he's trying to take the blessings of God that are within you and squeeze you until you release them and they are lost to you. Amen? So he's not doing it to save you, he's doing it to try to destroy you, amen, or to snuff out the peace that God has given you in your circumstances. Then the final thing it says about suffering violence is not only to be crowded into or against, to be squeezed, but also to be seized. There's certain things that are in your hand right now. Then there's other things that are close at hand that you like, I can almost taste it, I can almost touch it. This thing is just an inch away from me grasping that opportunity that I saw before me. And just as you're about to get a hold of it, or if it's even in your hand, the enemy comes up and says, not this time. Or he takes the very thing that is in your hand, and he snatches it away and says, no longer yours. That is what the enemy is trying to do. I'm sure even now, some of you have things in mind, opportunities, dreams, goals, gifting, things that are either in your hand right now, or things that are just a little bit away. If I just press a little bit harder and 
The enemy's trying to take those things away from you. God is saying in this year, don't allow that to happen. Amen? Do not allow that to happen. It is too crucial. It is too vital. It is something that you need to hold on to or something that is too close to your grasp for you to give up and be passive and allow the enemy to take it. You need to take it. Amen? Hallelujah. And don't let the enemy have his hands upon it. Because not only will the thing that's at your disposal bless you, but it'll also bless and impact the lives of all the people that are surrounding you. You don't realize how many people might be watching you, looking for somebody to be an example of how to prosper in life or how to live in peace. These people are watching you all the time, amen? And some of them don't have the strength in and of themselves to secure victory or to be successful and fruitful. But when they see you do it, it not only blesses your life, but it also blesses them and inspires them to the fact that Jesus Christ could get them over the hump and turn their situations around as well, amen? So that's why it's very important that we don't just lay back and let the enemy just sift us as wheat. But instead, we have the mindset that whatever thing God has placed before me, whatever potential I have, whatever gifting I have, I'm going to take advantage of it in this time and season. So this is not just a message for the year 2013. This is a message going forward and an attitude that we need to have as long as we're on this earth. Amen? Now, it says the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent... Take it by force. And a lot of times we associate violence with negativity. Well, he's a violent man. Well, you better stay away from him. He might pick a fight. He might grab a weapon and harm you. But Jesus here is clearly saying the violent take it by force. He's telling us that he wants us to be violent, not in terms of fist fighting, not in terms of being crude, corrupt, profane, but he wants us to be violent in the sense of if God's placed opportunities before us, we need to go out and get those things. Amen? That word violent in the underlying Greek means an energetic enforcer. I'll say it again. The word violent, once again, Jesus is saying the violent. He wants you to be violent. Violent means an energetic enforcer. It's one thing to be an energetic individual. I've got energy. I never need monster or five-hour drink, you know, any of these energy things. I'm full of energy, amen. I'm full of vitality. I just go after stuff, and I just never run out of steam. But it's quite another thing to not only be energetic, but to be an enforcer. Somebody that is energetic, they might go after something, but as soon as obstacles are placed in their path, well, I'll leave that one alone. I'll go exert my energy anywhere else. But a person as an enforcer not only sees something but says, even though there's an obstacle, I'm going to enforce the authority that's been granted to me to make this thing happen no matter what is in my way. That's why Jesus says it's not enough to be energetic, but he wants us to be energetic enforcers. Have a dream, have a vision, have a goal. Have talents and gifting that you want to use. But don't just sit back and say, I'll only be energetic about it when times are good. Have the mindset that despite what I may encounter, I'm going to be energetic. And as it relates to the kingdom of God, I'm going to be a force of nature in itself. I'm going to make God's kingdom emanate or flow from this place. Amen. I'm going to find new territories where the God may have not been present before. And I'm going to be the one to introduce it into that environment. So if God is not in your school, you bring the kingdom of God into your school. If God is not in your place of work, you're going to be the person that ushers in the presence of God there. If there's no influence of God in that situation, you'll be the one to bring the influence of God into that place that you're at. Amen? So that you can help make the atmosphere change wherever you go. 
So it's an attitude of enforcement. The situation may not be conducive to it right now. It, the presence of God may not exist right now. But once I get there, it's going to happen because I have an aggressive mindset that I'm not going to in my flesh do things, but in the spirit, I'm going to make these things happen in God. Amen? Hallelujah. So you are an enforcer of the kingdom of God and of the laws and principles of God. The final phrase here, it says, is to take it by force. And that phrase in the Greek means two things. To take for oneself. To take for oneself. And to weigh anchor. And that may seem a little weird, weigh anchor. But as I was looking at it, it it started to make sense to me. To take for oneself. One of the things that people say, especially in the business world, I had a number of projects, and you may have heard it before, where you're involved with a situation at work or with some kind of task, and they'll say, okay, you're working on this project. And things start to go wrong, and maybe people start to finger point, or why is this, and why is that, and how can we fix this, and how can we fix that? And all of a sudden, the owners say, this failed because you didn't take ownership of it. Amen? You ever heard that phrase? You need to take ownership of it. In other words, you need to make it a possession of yours and have the mindset that this thing belongs to me. So God is telling us in this situation that as we are navigating through life in this time and season, we can't just passively be involved with situations and say, oh, maybe it will or maybe it won't happen. He wants us to have the mindset of I'm taking ownership of what is within me, as well as the opportunities that are presented before me, and I'm going to make it a personal thing to me that I need this to happen. I need to be the catalyst, if necessary, to make sure this happens. Maybe everybody else around me may have the same vision, but whereas they may do it from a more aloof mindset, or maybe they don't think the stakes are as high, or they don't feel like, oh, it's not a big deal whether or not it goes through, I'm going to make a personal note to myself that, I'm taking responsibility of this. This is mine to keep. This is mine to be a part of. And I'm going to do whatever it takes within me to make it happen. That's what the mindset is when you're saying I'm taking ownership of something. Amen? It's personal to me. I'm involved and engaged. I'm not going to just sit here and let this situation fail. I'm not going to let the opportunity of God pass me by. I'm taking ownership. This is mine. God promised it to me. And I'm, if with every bit of of energy and strength and commitment that's within me, I'm going to make sure this happens because this is a precious promise and an opportunity from God himself. And then take it by force means to weigh anchor. That goes from possessive mindset in terms of the opportunities ahead. That's more of a permanence. When you weigh anchor, you're not just drifting and letting the currents of life take you here and there. Instead, you're laying down a weight and said, I'm going to abide here. So God is saying not only to have the mindset that I'm going to be personally responsible and attached and engaged in the situation, but I'm looking at this not for the short term, but I'm going to make this situation, this opportunity, or this condition a permanent part of my life. I'm going to have some stability in this situation. So as I've said a number of times before, salvation is a free gift from God. Amen? But in order to reap all of the benefits that are afforded to us from our inheritance that God has granted us, we must realize that the enemy will not simply yield territory and God's promises to us. He's going to do everything in his power to block us, and he will use the world system 
spiritual influences, as well as even our own flesh to undermine us in terms of achieving the goals, amen, that God has made available to us. So you may ask yourself, well, what is the kingdom of God? In our text, Scripture talks about from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence. What exactly is the kingdom of God? We're going to see first Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That sounds like a great thing, doesn't it? Do you realize that the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ was talking about was what was originally here when Adam and Eve were here? Look at that. Righteousness, there was no sin at the original creation of man. Peace, Adam was at total peace and serenity. In the cool of the day, he walked in the garden with God and they communicated. God gave him work to do, but the, 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 the ground responded to him. Nature and the animals, everything responded. It was at total harmony. Amen? And then joy in the Holy Ghost. He was walking around with perpetual joy all the time. No doom, no gloom, no kids getting on his nerves, no, no job layoffs, no monetary problems. Everything, every day was righteousness, peace, and joy in the presence of God. Amen? It was perpetual. Jesus, as he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's saying that he wants us to be restored to what we had lost. Amen? And I'm sure we're all aware that there's trials and tribulations that we encounter on a daily basis, but that doesn't change the fact that despite the problems, we can have a peace and serenity in God that transcends the everyday problems that we deal with. So the kingdom of God is not the things that we eat or drink. It is not the material possessions that we have. Amen? The kingdom of God, amen, is peace, righteousness, and joy in the presence of God. And he's telling us that these are the sorts of things that we can achieve not only for ourselves, but as we're going around on a daily basis and we're interacting with people that have problems that they're going through. The same way we can experience the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Ghost, we can now present that to other people and we can be seen as an agent of God that is ushering in the presence of God everywhere we go into the lives of others that may not know him. So that's a great thing. So where is the kingdom of God? It's inside of each one of us, amen? What is the kingdom of God? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Restoration of the peace and the harmony that man had with, with God in the beginning. Now being restored back into the lives of you and I on a daily basis. And we'll see this. Where is the kingdom of God? Luke 17, 20 through 21. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So have you been looking for the kingdom of God? Is it over here? Oh, I heard it's over there. And no matter where I navigate in life, I can't seem to find it. Where is this kingdom of God? Well, it's, it's quite possible and pretty much likely that if you've been looking all over the place for a tangible, physical location where the peace of God, and as we saw earlier, the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, if you've been searching and navigating the globe looking for it somewhere in the physical location and can't find it, the reason that you can't find it is that you've been looking everywhere except for inside of you. Amen? So the peace, the righteousness, the joy, all the things that are associated with the kingdom of God have been imbibed have been embedded inside of you all along, and we need to start looking inwardly. Amen? 
So we can have that peace. We don't have to run to and fro. And that's a great thing. You can have the kingdom of God, the kingdom experience inside your heart of hearts or your spirit, man, and in your mind on a daily basis. If you choose, instead of looking for tangible things and physical locations, instead to look to God and say, make this come real to me. Make this come alive in terms of my heart and mind. Despite the trials and tribulations I'm going through, let me envision my relationship with you and the fact that despite the turmoil I'm dealing with, I still have you, and that's enough in and of itself. Amen? The kingdom of God inside of me. And when that becomes real to me, as I'm living on a daily basis, how much more so as I'm going through trials and tribulations and people see that, can they say, well, despite the situation, he has peace, and I want some of that. How are you doing that with all these things going on? And it gives us the opportunity to introduce them to the same kingdom of God that we're now experiencing. Now, I said before from our text scripture that the enemy is not going to just sit there and let you have the kingdom of God and the promises of God. And he's not going to sit there and watch you use all your spiritual gifts to bless everybody as well as your own life and just sit back and do nothing about it. So we're going to look at some hindrances to attaining the kingdom of God. The first thing we're going to look at is John 10.10. Once again, Jesus is speaking. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Notice a key word there. I am come that they might have life. And it's repeated. And that they might have it more abundantly. Do you believe that when Jesus Christ was on the cross and he took on the sins of all of mankind and all the kingdom of darkness wanted to snuff him out and keep him bound in hell so that man would be eternally destined for destruction, burning hellfire for eternity? Do you think that when Jesus did all that, that he did it so he could say that you might have life and might have it abundantly? That's kind of a lame attitude, isn't it? I'm sure that in his mind, Jesus Christ, when he sacrificed himself, had the attitude that I am doing this not only to destroy the works of the devil and to atone for the sins of mankind so that he can have the kingdom of God both here on earth and in heavenly places. He did that so that we would have life and would have it more abundantly. The problem is he knows that each one of us has a choice in the situation. Even though he's made life, Amen? And abundance available to each one of us, he knows that some of us will never attain it because we allow different situations to block us from getting what he has made available. Amen? You go to Donald Trump today, and he sits there in his office. He has, his secretary brings you in. You come in, he's got his feet up on his desk, and there's a briefcase there, and then he flips it open, and it's got a million dollars in it. And he says, yours for the taking. And he says, sorry, Don, you know, I'm not interested. And you turn out of the room, walk out, go down the elevator, and you make your merry way out. Is it Donald's fault that you didn't take the million dollars? No, it was yours. Because he made it available to you, and you chose not to pick it up and carry it. Amen? Same thing with God. God has given us 
even greater inheritances, but even though we may have accepted him as our personal Lord and Savior. And when your heart stops, you will be with God. Eternity and salvation is not just when you die and he guarantees you eternity with him. Eternal life starts now from the moment that you accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior. But the reality is, a lot of us have been afforded, we're really all afforded the same blessings and inheritance of God. But only some of us will achieve peace. Only some of us will get healing. Only some of us will walk in our gifts and our purpose that's before God. Why? Because of the word might. Some of us fail to get it because of spiritual ignorance and we don't learn what's available to us. Some of us, due to sins, don't walk in it. Some of us because we're negative-minded or we allow the hindrances of life to take us off of the promises of God or we allow people to seduce and pull us away from things or we allow the enemy to speak into our ear and confuse us or to, to deceive us. It takes us away from the promises of God. And that's why he says that some of us might have life and some of us might have it more abundantly. So we have to acknowledge our part in the mights. Amen? And if we're in the might crowd, and that's not the good might, that's not the strength and endurance might. This is the might, the negative might, as in you could have, but you didn't get. So we have to see, and we have to evaluate ourselves and say, am I in the might crowd? We see here, and I'm going to break down these three words. It says, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I even focus on that word not there. The thief cometh not. You might wake up on a daily basis and say, you know, somewhere to ask you, what are you going to do today? Oh, I don't know. Come back an hour later. Figure out what you want to do yet? Uh, I still haven't figured it out. Noon. You decide something yet? Oh, no, I'm kind of, just feeling kind of tired today. I don't know. I ain't really feeling anything. And you just kind of drift through the whole day and nothing major or significant happens throughout the entire day. Some people spend their lives that way. (laughs) Just drifting through life and just letting life happen as opposed to proposing and planning and envisioning something. But we see here, it says the thief, and really it's referring to Satan. It says the thief cometh not. He doesn't come drifting through life. He doesn't come after us and say, oh, well, maybe I'll tempt him a day. Maybe I won't. Jesus himself is telling us that the thief doesn't come except, not, except for the fact that he's coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So you may not have a purpose in what you're doing in life on a daily basis, but I can assure you when he's coming after you, he has a plan in mind. He's not wasting his strength, his energy. Some of us can learn certain things, not the evil side, but we can learn the determination side, amen? Because he doesn't come unless he has a scheme to do something destructive in your life. If we can just get just, get just as committed in terms of doing something good in life, something beneficial and fruitful in life, our lives would probably turn up 50% from where we're at right now. So it says that he comes not but for to steal. That word steal means to rob, nick, Snatch or pinch. To rob, nick, snatch or pinch. And now we think of the word rob, you know, I got a wallet, somebody comes up, stick them up, takes my stuff, gone. That's a bigger thing. We notice it. Or maybe when they rob you, uh, they, they, they commit assault on you. They, they wound you 
to take what's yours away from you. Or you come home and they've broken in your house and they've taken what's from you, what's in front of you. Amen? Those are the bigger things that are very, very noticeable. But the one thing that caught me, uh, the Greek translation of the word where it said Nick, I was like, well, wait a minute. Nick is more insignificant. It might be something that's unseen, unnoticed. You ever have, you know, the, uh, a device, let's say a computer or your phone, and you're carrying it around and it's pretty new condition, and it gets nicked, and all of a sudden... Like, oh, man, I must have bumped that in something. And then all of a sudden, it becomes bigger than life. And every time you pick it up, your eyes go right to that little nick. You know that new car experience? <laughs> I had experience with my car. The very first nick was as big as the Grand Canyon. And it was so small that nobody else could notice it. But every time I would come out of my house, my eyes would automatically go right to that little tiny little scratch. That I guarantee you, y'all, if y'all walked around my car for 20 minutes, you probably wouldn't see it. But for probably the first month after I had that little tiny nick, probably a, a rock. I'm being very careful with my car, mind you. But just driving on the road, probably a truck or something kicked up a rock. Little tiny nick. This little ziggy zag thing. And for the next month, every time I would go out to my car... It's like I was Superman with my x-rays, <laughs> telescopic vision. My eyes automatically went to that little tiny nick in my car. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> and it's the same thing in life, amen? So sometimes the enemy doesn't just all out rob you. Sometimes he puts a little nick in your life. And you may not even notice it for a while. But then all of a sudden you notice that it becomes priority number one and it gets your attention. So we have to be watchful not only for the big things that the enemy can rob from us, but sometimes it's the smaller things. It's the little nicks that can come in, that can little, put a little, you know, a little mess or a little, it takes, a, it takes the beauty off of the thing, amen? You notice that? It's like the thing was so beautiful, but as soon as it gets this dick, it's like it kind of takes you down a little bit. It's not perfect anymore. It's flawed. It's marred. It's got a nick in it. So the reality of the fact that it, it, was, it was already not new from the time you bought it. But the reality of seeing that nick really makes it permanent in your mind that now it's marred. It's, it really isn't new anymore. <laughs> so it takes a little bit of the beauty and the purity away from the thing. Isn't it the same way in life sometimes when the enemy nicks certain things in your life and how it brings them down from the beauty of what they previously wore. He also tries to snatch things or he pinches things. I won't take the whole thing. Just take a little pinch. But see, the thing is, the reason you have to watch the pinches of life, though, is that the enemy might take a little pinch here or there, but if he takes a thousand pinches, all of a sudden, a lot of what you have is gone. Or sometimes you allow somebody to pinch a little bit here or there. Sometimes they get greedy and they say, hmm, that pinch is no longer satisfying me. I'm going to take a handful. <laughs> so we have to be careful about the way that the enemy pinches stuff. Like I said, the enemy doesn't attack us unless his tactics come with the underlying purpose of stealing away God's blessings, peace, or prosperity from our lives. And even when he fails, he attempts to leave evidence, amen, or nicks, demonstrating that we cannot keep our blessings safe. 
I think that's the main thing that really jars us. It's not so much that we didn't think it couldn't happen, but when it happens, it kind of leaves a message that I'll be back and I'm going to mar you or nick you or pinch or rob you again. It takes away the sense of, of security and it mars the situation in the past. Now, the root of the word steal comes from the Greek word klepto. Sound familiar? Kleptomania, kleptomaniac. That's where this word steal Jesus is talking about comes from. And that demonstrates that the enemy's behavior against us is compulsive. It's not based upon a personal need or financial benefit. He's doing it because he has an innate desire to prevent us from having the fullness of everything that we can obtain from God. He's compulsive. So even though you might have a day where you're not worried about him, he is compulsively trying to steal everything he can from your life. He doesn't need it. He just steals because there's a compulsion within him to steal from you. Amen? And that's why he's the true thief of thieves. Now, the next word we see here, Jesus says not only that he wants to steal, but he says he wants to kill. That word kill in the underlying Greek means to sacrifice by fire. He wants to burn it up. It also refers to blowing smoke on something. And then the final thing it talks about is to slaughter for any purpose. And that's some, something that the enemy does from time to time. Sometimes he cannot totally steal something from you. But he'll do everything in his power to make it go up in smoke. You ever notice that something goes up in smoke? You ever been in a situation where you're trying to go through smoke and it was clear and as soon as you hit that smoke, all of a sudden, I can't see clearly now. Things look vague. Things are a little confusing. That's what the enemy tries to do. So sometimes he cannot take something from you, but he could try to bring some to the situation. Amen? To prevent you from being able to see clearly the promises of God. To cause you through the smoke or the fog to go off course and deviate from what God has for your life. Amen? So we have to be watchful and prevent the enemy from bringing in this cloudiness or this, this fog, this smoke that will block us from remaining steadfast and on the path that God has for us. And if we remain steadfast in God, we, through his word and through the Holy Spirit, we can prevent him from clouding our judgment, from blinding us to the truth, and, you know, we can keep the enemy from preventing us from seeing God's eventual deliverance from our negative circumstances. So it's up to us. Are you going to let the enemy bring your dreams, your plans, your goals, your talents, take your skills, take your attributes, cause your relationships, and all the things that you hold dear to go up in smoke? Maybe they won't literally burn with fire before your eyes, but he can sure, surely try to put a cloud around them to cause confusion if you allow this to happen. So we have to guard. Jesus Christ is telling us here, I want you to have life and have it more abundantly. But the enemy will try to pinch and nip and steal and rob. And he'll try to bring cloudiness and confusion into your circumstances. You have to be the one that is on guard and say that I don't want to live in the might crowd. I want to be in the got the promises of God cloud. I mean crowd. Amen. Now the last word here, steal and to kill and to destroy. That word destroy means to cause to fully lose or perish. With the previous two words, and see, I had confusion about that before. I'll say to kill, 
to steal, to kill, and destroy. I was like, well, isn't killing and destroying the same thing? You kill me, I'm destroyed. But we can see here when you really examine the words behind the words we're seeing in English, there are differences between these. But this one, the word destroy here, is to cause to fully lose or to perish. This time he is truly extinguishing what is in your life. Maybe your body isn't dead, but your dreams have died. Maybe your gifting, you know, you have areas of gifting that the Lord wants you to use and you've been trying to use them. He got you to the place where now you feel that it's totally gone. I'll never be able to use those gifts again. And I'll tell you, um, I'll just make it short because this is an upcoming series, but your gift and calling will never leave you. They might lie dormant through sin, through um, ignorance of how to use them. They may lie dormant, but God's gifts are always within you. But the enemy will lie to you and say, totally gone. You'll never be able to use that again. So the enemy tries to put in things in your mind to say that this is dead. Forget it. Rigor mortis, six feet under. You're never going to be restored in an area of life. I'm here to tell you today that is a lie of the enemy. God is a God of, of restoration. And if necessary, as we see from the cross, he's a God of resurrection. Amen. So the devil may say it's, di- it's dead. Jesus says, I'm the life giver. Amen. There ain't nothing dead till I say it's dead. Amen. I have come that you have what? Life. And life more abundantly. So the enemy and even you can say that has died. That dream is over. I'll never fulfill it. I'm here to tell you that not only should you stop letting the enemy lie to you, you need to stop lying to yourself. If God says it's alive, it's alive. And I don't care if it's flatline and if the, the oscillator or whatever device they have on it is flatline. God will put a spark in that thing and he'll bring it right back to life. He is a God of resurrected things. Amen. Resurrected, resurrected lies, resurrected dreams, resurrected gifts. Whatever you need, he is a God of resurrection. Nothing is dead until God says it's dead. And he is a God that says, as long as you're on this earth, there's something alive in you that I want to bring out of you. Amen. Hallelujah. But the enemy will say it's over. It's dead. Done. Don't let him lie to you. Amen. Do not let the enemy lie to you. So the end result of all the enemy's tactics is that he wants to bring complete destruction of your eternal security or your belief in the inheritance that God has made available for you. But I'm here to tell you that although you might lose a battle, you must never fail to realize that as long as you're in your body breathing, you are victorious because you live another day to go out and live the promises of God. You've got another day left. If your lungs are still working, if your heart is still breathing, God's got something available for each one of you. Amen? And we ought to celebrate him for that. Amen? We ought to praise him for that. God has so much in us. Amen? Beyond even our expectations, we have so much within us that God wants to bring out if we could believe in ourselves. Amen? That word abundantly, I'm not going to go heavily into it, but in the underlying Greek it means superior in quality, excessive beyond measure. Lisa got it. <laughs> Kalea got it too. <laughs> you need to have the, have the mindset about yourself. I mean, look at yourself and say, I am superior in quality. Amen? Matter of fact, let's do that. We've got to start this year out right. Let's all repeat. I am superior in quality. Let's do it again. I am superior in quality. That's right. Y'all need to have an ad tech. I am superior in quality. That's right. I am prime rib. I am filet mignon. I am the best lobster in the house. 
Amen? Whatever way you got to rate yourself, you need to say, I am the best of the best. I am the cream of the crop. I am not a mutt. I am not a doormat. I am not a punching bag. Amen? I'm the best of the best. Y'all better, y'all better recognize that the blessing of God is here in the house. Amen? That's not to boast or brag or make ourselves important from a humanistic perspective, but from a God's perspective, we shouldn't be walking around looking all defeated and discouraged. We should be walking around saying, I am the best of the best. I am God's own um, product, his harvest. I am his child. I am his kinsman. Hey, wherever I go, I am bringing the essence of being superior in quality into the scenes. Amen? So it might be dysfunctional where I'm going, but guess what? Excessive and superior in quality is on the horizon. Oh, I'm here. We got to step it up because I'm here. Amen? I am superior in quality. I am excessively gifted, excessively blessed. I am beyond measure in terms of my accomplishments, my achievements, and what is before me. These things are beyond measure. I'm not even capable in my human mind of fathoming the things that I can do. Amen? Why? Because I am superior in quality and excessively beyond measure in God. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to go to First John chapter 2. Reading verses 15 through 22. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children... It is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Have I not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lies of the truth? Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. All right, so we see here, and this might be a little confusing because it talks about the Antichrist, but it says even now there are many Antichrists. So you may be like, wait a minute. I mean, the Left Behind series and all these Revelation movies and stuff like that. You know, I see this leader who is the Antichrist, and I thought it was just one Antichrist. Are you talking about there's many Antichrists? But what they're saying here is that there is one literal human being referred to in, as the Antichrist in the last days, who's basically going to take over the world and try to do a last-ditch effort to wipe out the Jews, as well as all the remaining Christians. Amen? So that is one historical figure. I guess you would call him capital A Antichrist. Amen? Who is trying to even mimic, you know, Jesus in terms of resurrecting from the dead and operating in signs and wonders, and he's going to astound the world, and he's going to deceive many. Amen? But even though there is a literal Antichrist who is spoken of as the agent, agent of Satan who will attempt to destroy all the last day Christians and will attempt to establish a devilish kingdom to overthrow the sovereignty of God. The word of God here also says that there are many antichrists. Amen. And what he's talking about there is that there are people under the influence of the kingdom of darkness 
and the world system who will attempt to hinder us in our walk with God. Now, this doesn't mean that people will openly deny the existence or the, of God or the sovereignty of God, just that they will be influenced or motivated by their own desires to lead us astray of God's will for our lives. And regardless of the reasons for them doing this, whether it's intentional or it's unintentional, we have to have the strength and the determination to say, I'm not going to yield to the influences or the pressures that these people place upon me. So, once again, there is a literal antichrist who's going to take over the world in the last days. Amen? But the word here shows us also that there are many antichrists. Basically, it's people who are deceived by the world system, that are under the influence of the kingdom of darkness. They deny the existence of God. They don't yield to Jesus Christ. Basically, you can say that we're surrounded by antichrists all the time. Because they'll say that, you know, gay marriage is okay. And they'll say abortion is okay. And you need to mind your business. And they'll say profanity is okay. And, and just conducting yourself any um, sensual or fleshly way is okay. That's the spirit of antichrist that has deceived people to do things that are contrary to the word of God. So we're surrounded by antichrist people as well as an antichrist world system all the time. But there is a little antichrist that is still to come and take over the world. So we have to be careful. Since we're surrounded by these influences every day, we have to know the word for ourselves, and we have to be strong enough to stand on the word and the promises of God, even though the world system and the people in it are totally opposed to it. Amen? So that's up to us to sustain ourselves. We have to police ourselves and say, I'm not going to allow myself to be deceived, pressured, um, or Lord into something that's going to take me outside of the promises of God's word. I have to guard myself. I need to know the word of God my, for myself, and I have to take a stand for God if necessary, even if I'm going it alone. Amen? Because we're surrounded by Antichrist all the time. Probably most of the people you know are Antichrist. It's just reality. You know, we probably know more Antichrist than we do Christians. <laughs> It's just a reality. And some of them are good people. They're nice, moral, wholesome people. A lot of families I interact with, I love them. But if they haven't accepted Jesus, they're under the seduction of the world system. So that doesn't mean for us to despise them and be at war. And we need to be praying for them that they'll be enlightened and they will come unto the liberty and the true freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Now, we saw in this text scripture it says that we are not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. That means the principles of this world, ma the material things of this world, and the people of the world. And by loving, it means not only to literally love those things, but also not to be under the, the lordship and the authority of these things. Amen? And it breaks them down into three categories. And if you really think about this, this is something you could do and maybe discuss on your own. Um, but every sin that can be committed falls under the three categories that we see here, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every sin you can commit falls under either one or maybe all three of these categories. I'll just give you a couple examples, though. Um, lust of the flesh. That's basically things that your human fleshly body craves. Food, drink, alcohol, unfortunately, drugs, unfortunately, cigarettes, sex, these sorts of things pull on your human body. 
And you have to have them. And what happens is sometimes if you don't have it within control, these things can take lordship over your life. So somebody's an alcoholic or a drug addict, we're supposed to be able to take in food and drink and stuff like that and enjoy it and have it nourish our bodies and things like that. But you should never be in a situation where the food, the drink, or the substance controls you and now dictates your life. Alcoholic or drug addict will literally destroy their lives because they're bound to something that really should be subjected to them since man is supposed to be on the top of the totem pole. Same thing. How many lives have been destroyed through some of these other things? Cigarettes, sex. I mean, making bad decisions, getting drifted astray, all these different things because of the lust of the flesh. And everybody has their own level of how these things pull on them. Amen? But we all have things in our natural human bodies that pull on us through our fleshly appetites and try to get us to go astray from God. The next one is the lust of the eyes. That's your visual attraction to things. Oh, I just love fur coats. I love bling. Man, if only I had that car. And your bank account says you can only afford, you know, a a lower-level car, (laughs) the Volkswagen Beetle, but you go out and get the Bentley. And you knew good and well when you signed that contract that you couldn't afford it, but you did it anyway. I'll find a way. No, you're not. That car going to get repoed. And you signed it anyway. Why? Because something within you, the lust of the eye said, I have to have it. And even though your bank account and common sense said I didn't need it, well, you don't understand. When I'm driving that car, I'm going to have all the ladies. All the people at my job, when I drive up, they're going to be like, whoa, how are you driving that? Lust of the eyes. Stuff that you have to have, that you can't afford, that you don't need, but you just got to have it because the lust. And the desire of your eyes visualizing it or even your mind thinking about it makes you actually pursue that and doing whatever it takes to get it. And you'll make that have priority in your life over serving God himself. Lesson eyes. Body image. You won't go to church in six months, but you'll be in that gym every night. I got the best body out there on the beach this summer. Well, you're glorifying your body more you do God. Amen? So it just goes on and on. Basically, things that visually entice you fall into the category of the lust of the eyes. Pride of life. Desire for fame, fortune, attention. Whenever I go somewhere, I got to talk or act in such a way that all eyes are over on me. I got to get attention. A lot of times it's due to insecurity. Well, people always overlook me. So now, as an adult, everywhere I go, I got to do something to get attention, even if it's negative attention. Long as all eyes are on me, everybody's watching me. Pretty much the nature of the majority of reality shows, dysfunctional behaviors, people that have the pride of life. I need attention. It don't matter if I'm making a fool out of myself on national TV. I'm getting attention. And see, so you can tie into the pride of life and the lust of the eyes. Through my attention on a reality show, I get lots of money, now I can get the jewelry and cars and stuff I wanted. So you see how they can intertwine? Personal recognition to elevate oneself in the sight of the others. You know, I don't need that car. I don't need all that jewelry and those furs. But if I wear all those things, then people will be in awe of me, and then it will elevate me in the sight of others. So sometimes you actually, if you were to research and really analyze and counsel the person, you'll find that their main vice is the pride of life. 
but the means to satisfy that vice might tie into one of the other ones to get them to that level where that one is satisfied. But the reality is none of these things will be fully satisfied in you when you succumb to them because you'll never get to the place where you're totally satisfied. You'll always be trying to pull something else or pursue something else to satisfy. There's no true fulfillment outside of God. You will always be searching after something. Amen? There'll always be some kind of emptiness inside of you outside of God because God put the void there to make you need and pine for him. Amen? Hallelujah. So you understand that. So like I said, you can evaluate things you see on TV, things in the news, some of the certain things that you even uh, feel pulling on you or you know, inadequacies that are within you. Everything that you could possibly do in terms of the sin nature will fall under these three categories. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 4, these are the three areas that Satan attacked Jesus in, but he overcome each one with the word. Lust of the flesh, turn the stones of bread. You know you're starving. You're starving. Come on. You know you're starving. You know, visual attractions. You bow down to me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. And it showed, it said Satan showed him all the world's kingdoms. Lust of the eyes. Pride of life. If you're the son of man, jump off of this cliff. And the angels, they have charge of you. They will, they will catch you unless you dash your foot against the stone. If you're the son of man, do this. So Satan attacked him in those three areas. But Jesus right. It is written. It is written. It is written. He would not yield to any of these things. Amen. So we'll be attacked. The enemy will package those things different ways, but they will always fall under one or more of these three categories. Amen. Hallelujah. So different packaging, but they all wrap up the same way. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 we're going to look at. Verses 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that not worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we see here, Satan is not only the power of lies, as Jesus called him in other passages of scriptures, but we also see here that he is the prince of the power of the air. And what that means is that there will be thoughts and imaginations that the enemy will use spirits to speak into our minds. They'll try to pull us and lure us away from God. Also, because he's the prince of the power of the air, that means he will use things that emanate in the air to influence us and to deceive us and pull us away from God. What is in the air? we got satellites orbiting the earth in geosynchronous orbit all the time that are transmitting uh, communications of telephones. Uh, they're, they're sending out GPS signals. They're also sending out, and what affects us the most, is radio, satellite radio, and TV transmissions. So the prince of the power of the air, is it any mistake or any coincidence that the majority of the stuff that's on TV and radio and satellite is yielded to the influence of the kingdom of darkness and is used to promote 
the works of darkness. Oh, yeah, it's not going to straight out say, serve me, Satan, the prince of the power of the air. But he'll say stuff to say, oh, well, it's okay to lust. Okay, it's okay to be greedy. It's okay to be mean-spirited. It's okay to be haughty. It's okay to be all these different things. It's okay to say that this is okay and that's okay. And all these things that are contrary to God are acceptable. And as a matter of fact, the airways will even tell you that if you promote righteousness, that you're a fool that you're not an intellectual, that you're old-fashioned, and that you're superstitious. So the airways are constantly bombarding us with saying Christianity and the principles of God are errant and foolish, but yet glorification of the things that are contrary to God are well-deserved and pleasing and should be applauded. Amen? The prince of the power of the air. That's why we have to be watchful, amen, as we're going to pursue things in this year that we're aware of the media social media and the internet and the TV and the airwaves and everything that we're taking in to our spirits because all the time the enemy is bombarding you with stuff to take you away from God. You'd be driving down the road in your, in your car and somebody half scantily clad up on a billboard on the road. You're trying to mind your business and, whoa, what the heck was that? Amen? Stuff is surrounding you all the time. You can't get away from it. Ads, print ads, you get stuff. And I'm not talking about just men, but men and women. You just see scantily clad people. You know, a guy look like a Chippendale up on the... You try to go to Walt Whitman, and there's a guy who looks like one of the Chippendales or, or the big greatest bodybuilder on earth, got muscles on top of his muscles, and he's sitting there with no shirt on. You trying to drive across the Walt Whitman, and the person's up there on the billboard. <laughs> You're just trying to pay your toll, and they're staring you in the face because the enemy is trying to seduce you away from the things of God. Amen. That's why they had that, that big book going around with the women, Fifty Shades of Grey or something like that. Like, the, the enemy's bombarded men for years with this type of stuff. Now he's trying to get the filth into the minds of the women as well. That's no chance. He's like, I already got the majority of men. Now I'm working on the women. Amen. Oh, you've got to go out and sell your wild oats too. Used to be only men did. And now it's like he's after the women. Now they're starting to do it. The Cougar Club and all this stuff. He's chasing after the women more. He's stepping it up with them. So now they're doing the same thing that men were doing for generations. Amen? Hallelujah. So he's the prince of the power of the air, but don't think it a strange thing. Be aware of it and say, I need to preserve myself and keep myself focused on the promises of God. Uh, you can write it down, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. talks about us, and it says that for, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting out imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing to captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So the primary area of warfare that you'll encounter on a daily basis is in the battlefield of your mind. That's why in Ephesians 6, where it talks about the weapons of our warfare, it says that take on the helmet of salvation. As soon as you get saved, God's like, i got to put a helmet on your head to guard your mind because the enemy's trying to seduce you and entice you away from the things of God and the principles of God. And he knows that it's going to be working that warfare primarily in that gray matter more than it will any other area of your life. You think about where most of your battles are. It's not necessarily your flesh. Yes, you do have fleshly urges, and you do have ego and emotions and things like that. But a lot of that stuff, before you can go out and act on something negative and ungodly, it's going up here. You're going, should I? Shouldn't I? Well, here's the pros. 
Here's the cons. Well, if I do it, oh, I'm going to make God sad or angry at me. Oh, but if I don't do it, I'll lose out on this. All this stuff's playing out in your head before you even commit to doing it. So here we see, as those imaginations start to rage in our head, don't sit there pondering and playing with it and replaying it and rehashing it. He says, as soon as you get the imagination in your head, you need to cast it down, amen, before it could take a root and you start struggling with it and then it leads you astray from God. Now, we've talked about the enemy and how he tries to influence us in three major areas. And we talked about, you know, just how we have to make sure we're not seduced and led astray by the various things that are coming our way and some of the hindrances to the kingdom of God as well as what the kingdom of God is. But one of the things he really placed on my mind is a promise that he made to Israel that he also will make to us in this time and season. And that is that we need to come out of our barrenness and enlarge the gates of our habitation. Amen? Come out of your barrenness. If you've been sitting there and saying, my outlook on life or my capabilities or my situation look bleak, we need to stop having that mindset, and even more so speaking according to that mindset. And we need to start having the mindset that, hey, hey I'm coming out of this, and God's going to bless me, and I am going to get victory, uh, victory in this situation. And we're going to read that, Isaiah 54, 1 through 8. Isaiah 54, 1 through 8. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou, shalt, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is, th- is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God, for a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. All right, so we see here, and here's the thing that's really important for us to realize. This passage of Scripture is talking about God having to hide his face from the people of Israel for a moment because of their sin and rebellion. But even before they came out of the disillusionment, discouragement, and the oppression that was associated with it, God gave them the command to start singing and praising him. Amen? I think a lot of times we don't want to praise and glorify God until we get the victory and come out of circumstances. But God is basically telling them, sing who? He said, sing, O barren. So he didn't say, wait until you're prosperous. He said, oh, you that person there that's barren, sing. The one of you who cannot give birth, break forth into singing. He's saying, in other words, in the midst of your barrenness, 
disillusionment, discouragement, and defeat, in that place is where I want you to start to sing and glorify my name. Why? Because restoration, deliverance, and salvation and healing is on the horizon, but I need you to sing now to help open up or unlock the blessings that are yet to come. Amen? They're on the horizon, but you can't sit there in your discouragement, murmuring and complaining, grumbling and feeling sorry for yourself. Even in the midst of your darkest hour, you need to praise and glorify me because literally your praise is going to be one of the things that unlocks the blessings of God and brings it into your circumstances. Amen? So that's the mindset he wants us to have. Even though last year may have been bad, and maybe this year hasn't started off good. God's saying, no matter what you're going through right now, sing, praise, and glorify me because your release, your deliverance, your prosperity, your freedom, your healing, all those things might be tied into you glorifying me now so that the shackles will come off, so that the prison door will come open, and so that you will be released into the area of, of good pastures. Amen? Hallelujah and fruitfulness in God. So now is the time to praise God. Now is the time to glorify him. Now is the accepted time to say, God, I'm believing you. I'm trusting you. I'm glorifying you. Thank you, Jesus, in advance. Because my blessing, my deliverance, and my miracle is right here on the horizon. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So in other words... Israel was commanded by God to ignore its current barren condition and to sing praises to God for his upcoming restoration and blessings. He might allow you to suffer for a time and season, amen? But God says he's married to you and he's going to restore you to prosperity. That's literally one of the things that I shared last week. As Pam and I celebrated our 25th anniversary, I said that we've been married. See, Pam's married to me. Not on the days, I'm, oh, I'm married to Brian on his good days. Oh, Brian got diagnosed with cancer, and he's going to have surgery. Well, I'm not his wife. I'll see you after the surgery. I'll be married to you again at surgery. She wasn't married to me for all the good years leading up to that. And then all of a sudden, when I got sick, oh, I'm not your wife. I'll see you if you make it. No, she was married to me. Matter of fact, if anything, she's probably closer married to me during my time of my need and the supportiveness I needed in prayer and the encouragement and stuff like that going into my surgery and through the healing process even more so than coming out of it or beforehand. Amen? So God might allow you to go through something, but don't think that you're out there in the woods or the desert by yourself. He is married to you in that time. As we see here, he says he is your husband, he's your redeemer, and he says, even though you might be as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, he said, I am your kinsman and your redeemer. So in the time of you feeling deserted and alone, that is the time where he's truly your husband, your redeemer, and he's the one that's going to pay the price, amen, to get you through the other side and into victory. We might have to repent of things we're going through in the wilderness. But the good thing is that even though he might have the hottest face for a season, He's still there watching over us and waiting for us to sing and glorify him and bring in our new blessings. Now, before we close this, I want to cover taking the kingdom by force. Taking the kingdom by force. We're going to go to Psalm 34, 1 through 4. Psalm 34, 1 through 4. A psalm of David when he had changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. Praise the Lord. So what did David say? We see here that David, it said he changed his behavior. <laughs> that was actually during the time that he wrote this psalm, David was fleeing from his life from Saul. He had gone to Abimelech. Now, mind you, David had actually acted like a madman for a while so that he would be left alone. That's why it's talking about David when he changed his behavior. The change of behavior is that instead of being David the warrior and the psalmist and the shepherd, um, he was just like David the babbling madman. Like, it won't bother me if I'm mad. Let's just leave me alone. So David, fleeing for his life from Saul because it didn't work, goes to Abimelech. He says, help me. Can you hide me from my enemies trying to kill me? Abimelech's like, uh-uh, get out of here. So David, first of all, fleeing for his life from Saul, denied refuge by, from Saul's attacks by Abimelech, already embarrassed because he acted like a madman publicly and it didn't work. He also was in a situation before he went to the cave of doom where he didn't have allies to help him out. So basically he was in his darkest moment, but during that time, and despite all the adversity, he was inspired at that point to say, I will praise the Lord at all times. Amen. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall be continually in my mouth. Despite his darkest moment, he said, in the midst of this, I'm going to bless the Lord, and I'm going to praise his name. So that basically shows us that that's the mindset we should have. Even in the midst of all hardships, where are our thoughts, and what are we professing out of our mouths? David's thoughts were on the goodness of God and how he could trust him, and what was coming out of his mouth? Praising about his God who is going to save him. And matter of fact, it said, he said in verse 2, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. That word boast in the underlying Hebrew means to be clear, to make a show, to rave or celebrate. To be clear, to make a show, to rave or celebrate. David already tried the other show. He put on a show acting like a madman. Embarrassed himself. Rejected, being chased for his life. That didn't work. But when David got to the point, said, I'm going to make my boast, I'm going to make a show in the Lord, I'm going to rave and celebrate God and his goodness, that's when things were turned around, and he said, I'm going to bless him all the time, and praising him will continually be in my mouth instead of complaining about my circumstances. Amen? And that was one of the keys to getting him over the hump. Psalm 22, 1 through 5. To the chief musician from Ijaleth Shahar, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O God, that inhabiteth the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. All right, so you may not be able to find God in your circumstances sometimes. Like, where is God and why did I get here? But we see here that even in the midst of that, David went from 
my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken thee, which is me, which is actually prophetic uh, pronouncement that Jesus was yet to pronounce on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Jesus repeated this exact sentence on the cross. So this was actually a prophetic utterance by David in the midst of his despair that Jesus was yet to say on the cross. Amen. And he says, why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? He said, I cry in day, I cry at night. I'm not silent about needing help, but where are you? But then he gets a revelation in verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. See, when he was crying and saying, where are you? You don't hear me. Where are you? You're not helping me. I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm not silent, and you're not here. He's like, I don't see God in the midst of this. You're far from helping me. But all of a sudden, when he got the revelation, you inhabit the praises of people, he starts saying, I trust in you, I this and I that, and all of a sudden, I feel the presence of God. And now I know that if, he, that if I trust in you, you're going to deliver me, and I will not be confounded. Amen? So in the midst of him praising God, he got the revelation that God was there all alone, all along, and God was going to help him out of his circumstances. And that word confounded means to be disappointed, ashamed, and here's one we don't like, delayed. <laughs> disappointed, ashamed, and delayed. So he said he went from, where are you, God, to you inhabit the praises of your people, and when we cry unto you and trust you, we'll be delivered, and we will not be, what? Disappointed, ashamed, or delayed. So the statement that I will make to us is that if we can't find God in our circumstances or confusion is the only thing surrounding us on every side, it's possible that we have not invited God into our circumstances by praising him. If God says according to his word that he inhabits the praises of his people and all you feel and see is the devil around you, maybe God's not there. And we're, if he says that he's in praise, then maybe you need to usher in praise into your circumstances so that God will be invited in. And now he will what? Inhabit or dwell in the area where he was not found before. Amen. If there's confusion in your places that you're dealing with and God's nowhere to be found, maybe once again, it's because God has not been invited into the circumstances. And if you praise him, he'll be invited in and now he will inhabit that very place. So God inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Um, Matthew 18, 18 through 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my father, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So not only can God be introduced or invited into your circumstances through praising him, but sometimes we need to pray and be in agreement with somebody because it says here, where two or three or more are gathered in my name, praying under me, praising under me, and I would probably add, acting like me, God says, I am in the midst of them. Amen? You know, so if God's not there, then maybe we need to invite him in. As we see here, whatever you bind on earth and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Maybe you haven't done the spiritual disciplines 
And we've been spending so much time murmuring, complaining, going this one and that one, trying to remedy the situation instead of saying, I'm going to pray to God and say, I bind this confusion, I bind this wickedness, I bind this contention, and now I loose peace and productivity and agreement. And if we loose the things of God and bind the things of the kingdom of darkness, we basically, as this word says in underlying Greek, we bind something, we tie it up in knots. So we need to tie up the devices of the enemy. So that's where it comes back. And we see here, Jesus is speaking, and Jesus tells us whatever you bind and whatever you loose. In other words, you have the responsibility to shape your circumstances. Amen? And that's the mindset we need to have. And that's where it goes back to our text scripture. The violent take it by force. And the violent are the energetic enforcers. You have a choice of whether or not you're going to be an energetic enforcer and bring forth the kingdom of God through praising him and speaking the promises of God and also binding and loosing things, or are you going to sit back and let everything be status quo, which is usually status mess? You got the choice. Or you could take the kingdom by force and say, God has given me the supernatural power and authority to render the enemy bound instead of me being entrapped in his attacks. And I choose to use the weapon of warfare that he's made available to me as opposed to sitting back and just letting the enemy run over me top to bottom. So passivity, there's a difference between being a lamb, amen, and being in agreement and being respectable and being caring and compassionate and just being a doormat. There's quite a difference. God has called us to reconcile with the world and to minister love to the world, but he never told us to just sit back and let evil reign supreme in our midst. Amen? We need to sometimes be assertive and aggressive and command the atmosphere surrounding us to have the nature light of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, you're going to write this down. Acts 6, 8-15, we'll close with that. I'm not going to read it, but Acts 6, 8 through 15, it just talks about Stephen being full of faith and power. And he went around doing signs and wonders. And he was finally opposed by the council that, as we'll know from the later chapter, he ends up getting stoned over it. But it says at one point as they were opposing him and lying and saying he's spoken blasphemous words. And they've sent people there to be witness to him and his evil and his heresy. Uh, which were all lies, but these people rallied against him. But even in the midst of that opposition, it says at one point he was talking, and it was as if, you know, his face shone like an angel, and nobody could dispute the wisdom by which he spake. That's because it says he was full of power and faith in God. If we're full of power and faith in God, and that's something we have to examine in ourselves. That word full means to be complete, covered over, and fully equipped. So are we full of faith? Are we complete, covered over with the authority of God and fully equipped through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit for everything that we have to encounter in this year? If not, then it's our responsibility to go back to God and make sure we're properly honed and equipped, that we've gotten the deliverance that we need, that we have the insight that we need from Him as to our purpose for this time and season. But the onus, once again, is on us. He says, the violent... The energetic enforcers will take the kingdom of heaven by force. Amen? So we need to choose whether or not we want to be enforcers or we just want to sit back and let life go past us and we just survive. I mean, I no longer want to be on the path of just surviving life. 
I want to prosper in life. Amen. And I've had a good life. Amen. But I want to prosper as I'm going forward. I want to continually be on the path of, you know, not just surviving life, but being a part of making life happen, making life better for other people, walking in victory and showing others how to walk in victory. So that's what I encourage us all to do in this coming year. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. If you have a prayer need, um, come forward. I'm going to do a corporate prayer just for the start of our year. Amen. Get us off on the right track. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank and praise you. I'm just going to um, go around and anoint everybody at oil. It just came to mind. No, everybody just come forward and make it easier. Just to consecrate ourselves for the new year. We're going to have a prosperous year. I'm feeling it. We're going to have a super abundant, super abundant year beyond a measure. Everybody feeling it? Super abundant beyond measure year. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Father, for a new and exciting year, Father. A year is going to be fruitful, already fill it. A year is going to be highly productive in things spiritual as well as temporal, Lord. We thank and praise you, Father, that even as we saw in text scripture today, hallelujah, we're going to be violent enforcers, energetic enforcers of the kingdom of God, that everywhere we go, we will not only walk in the abundant life that you have made available for us and will not only uh, take advantage of the inheritance, the blessings, the authority, and the freedom that you've given us, but also, Father, we're going to enforce the boundaries of the kingdom of God and we'll take it everywhere we go. According to your word, you said we're temples of the Holy Ghost. So that means that the presence of God is in us and it surrounds us everywhere we go. We praise and thank you, Father, that you've made us portable repositories, portable houses and tabernacles of the Spirit of God. So wherever we go, Father, we'll be, bring peace, we'll bring freedom, we'll bring li- liberty, we'll bring hallelujah, clarity of mind, we'll bring peace where there's chaos and confusion, we'll bring hope where there's uh, disillusionment, we'll bring salvation where there's bondage and captivity, hallelujah, we'll bring healing where there's sickness and disease. We thank and praise you, Father, to anoint us, Father, hallelujah, to um, anoint us to the point that even as we touch people, they will feel, hallelujah, the Holy Spirit upon them and that it will bring healing in their natural bodies. We praise and thank you, Father, give us spiritual authority as your word calls us ministers of reconciliation that have the word of reconciliation. That as we will speak, Father, hallelujah, people, even if it is not an intended counseling session, Lord, that even as we would speak, Father, it would just prick the ears of people. It would grab their attention. It would cause the hardness of their heart to melt. And, Father, it would lead them into salvation in you, Father. Not that we would get any credit or we would boast about it, Father, but according to your word that none of us will boast but that you will be seen as the one who is the author and finisher of their faith. We praise and thank you, Father, for this. We thank you to anoint us, to fill us the overflowing Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Baptize those who, of us who have not been baptized, hallelujah, in the water or in the Holy Spirit, Father, with that. We thank you, praise you, Father, that you anoint us, Father, hallelujah, that everywhere we go, hallelujah, the peace that would transcend um, our hearts and minds, Father, would touch not only us but other people. 
Holy, we thank you, Father, we would prosper educationally throughout this year, that you would anoint our minds, that we would do beyond our expectation in terms of a grades for those of us that are in school. Holy, for those of us who are not officially in school, but we're learning new things, Father, for our careers or just for our personal growth, Father, we thank you, Lord, to... Uh, even as your word says, we have the mind of Christ, Father, that um, ingenuity, creativeness, Father, imagination would highly illuminate our mind, Father, that we would have greater creativity and ability to grasp knowledge uh, at a higher level than ever before. We praise you, Father, for revelation to flow in us. We thank you, Father, for those of us that dream dreams that, hallelujah, we would receive dreams and we would have the interpretation of how to not only walk in those things or be warned of things, Father, but also to use the knowledge you've given us from on high, Father, to touch the lives of others, Father. We thank you, Father, in terms of careers, Father, that those of us who are seeking to start new business endeavors, Father. You would anoint it. You would cause it to prosper and grow and be fruitful, Lord. Hallelujah. For those of us who are on business, Father, hallelujah. Your word says we have humbled ourselves that we'd be exalted in due season. We thank you that this will be the season of exaltation, that you will elevate us, not that we would make a name for ourselves, but we would make a name for you, Lord, as they would see you operating through us. We praise you, Father, that your hand would be upon all of our possessions, Father, for those things that are trying to break or are going obsolete, you'll keep your hands upon them to keep them running. For those things that we need to replace various things, Lord, give us the resources to replace those things that we need, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Not that we'd be filled with greed and material wealth, Father, but that we would have the needs to sustain ourselves, Father, once again and to serve your kingdom. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. We thank you, Father, for liberty, for fruitfulness, for more anointing, for more wisdom, for more strength to go against spiritual warfare, that in every area of our life we will prosper, hallelujah, in this time of season. And we thank and praise your Father for this, as well as a season of great impact in the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.